Well, we are continuing with a look at the awakening that must come. If there's going to be hope for our nation, for our lives, it will come at the hand of God. In an article on the Flint Rehab website, a website that declares itself, uh, its purpose is to give tools for recovery, uh, you can read some really amazing stories about survivors of traumatic brain injury. Let me share with you just one. Simon was involved in a hit-and-run accident that left him so broken, when paramedics arrived, they thought he was dead. And his injuries were extensive. Uh, He had one-third of the right hemisphere of his brain destroyed. He suffered severe internal bleeding. When the doctors evaluated him, he scored only three points on the Glasgow Coma Scale. You probably haven't heard of that unless you've had someone in a coma. But think a a hurricane category. They have the same kind of system for those in coma. uh, And they rate you. He scored a three. People who score a three on the GSS, GCS, have only a 7% chance of survival with a good outcome. And that's only if their coma lasts about two weeks. Simon was in a coma for a month. And when he finally came out of the coma, he really had a hard time understanding where he was. He had forgotten how to read. He had forgotten how to write. He could barely understand anything anyone was saying to him. And they gave him an IQ score. And uh, on that test, with his IQ, he had a score of 50. The lowest possible IQ score on that test. And doctors, realistically from their viewpoint evaluated and said he will spend the rest of his life in need of constant care, that he would never be able to fully recover. He would be dependent upon others the rest of his life. Today, Simon has regained nearly all of his cognitive skills. He now has an IQ level of 151. 151. Uh, He was very lucky. He got hold of a therapist who simply refused to give up on him. She worked very hard to help him, despite how helpless he was. And his his therapist, Dr. Lois Provda, made him work on cognitive skills three times a week. And by the time she finished with him, his mental abilities have more than doubled. Now, after two years, Simon... Went, on, went from practically helpless to living on his own with minor assistance. And the article says, Simon's story is the best demonstration we've seen of the power of neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is a term that describes the brain's ability to kind of rebuild itself. In cases of severe brain injury or when there have been surgeries, it can actually create new neurons, and so forth. And he did, his brain did an amazing job. He was missing an entire section 
of the right hemisphere of his brain. One third of his brain was gone. And his brain rewired itself. And he regained skills that the doctor said would be impossible for him to do. Well, folks, Simon, quite literally, had to learn the very basics of life. The ABCs, if you will. On a route to an amazing recovery, he had to relearn virtually everything and made an amazing recovery. Now, there are times in the lives of every person in this room that we have to look back. We have to go back to the very basics in a lot of different things. It can be in relationships. It can be in, in learning. It can be in career opportunities. But every once in a while, we have to go back because life can overwhelm us. And life can sidetrack us to such an extent we feel as if we have forgotten everything of importance. And that can happen to us spiritually. We can lose sight of the journey we are supposed to be on. And we desperately need God to restore us. We need God to bring us back to the place of spiritual health, back to the place of growth, back to moving forward again. And in this morning's text, we are going to take a look at the need of going back to the basics in our walk with God. When we have somehow lost our way, when we have somehow managed to mess everything up, and we can do that so well, can't we? So we're going to take a look at one of my absolute favorite passages of Scripture out of the book of Second Chronicles. It is an amazing passage. We'll be looking at Second Chronicles 30, verses 1 through 9. And we're going to be reading about an amazing man, one of the few really, really good kings in Judah, who had followed one of the absolute worst kings in Judah, his father. We're going to look at Hezekiah. And so we pick up in chapter 30, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. Hezekiah went, sent word to all Israel and Judah, and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. The king and the officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. The plan seemed right both to the king and to the whole assembly. They decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. It had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. At the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials, which read, 
people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your parents and your fellow Israelites who were unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their ancestors, so that he made them an object of horror as you see. Do not be stiff-necked as your ancestors were. Submit to the Lord. Come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God so that his fierce anger will turn away from you. If you return to the Lord, then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. In our text, Hezekiah was calling for a great moment of reformation in Israel. He was calling for an observation of the Passover, one of the major festivals of Israel since the Exodus experience. Now, this was only the beginning of a reform. Hezekiah was determined with the help of God, he was going to undo everything he could that his father Ahaz had done. And so he comes to this moment. We're going to celebrate Passover. Now, literally, sometimes to move forward, and I think this is what's happening in our land right now. This is why I believe an awakening is absolutely necessary among the people of God in America and in the West today. In order to move forward, we need to move back for just a moment. We need to return to basics, regather, and find out what God wants us to be. Just what will it really take for us to get back to basics so we can move forward? Well, let's look at our text, and we see several steps in the journey of getting back to where we need to be. Okay, so you ready? Let's take a look. And our very first step, we need to return to what has been neglected. We need to return to what has been neglected. And this was a major problem with Israel. Did you catch uh, this idea that they had not been able to do much of this? That the, the, and you will a little bit later, I'll show you some more. The Passover had kind of fallen into not being observed with a great deal of faith. Serving God at all was on the backbone of Israel. So Hezekiah, this amazing king, understood the need to restore the Passover to all Israel, all of Israel. Now, Hezekiah took the throne. His story begins in chapter 29. He took the throne with a heart to bring reformation to the land. He wanted to do what God would have him do. And so he called the priests together and the Levites, and he said, we need to restore the temple. We need you to be restored so that we can follow the ways of the Lord. And the priests and the Levites, for the most part, took this very seriously, and they got busy. The temple and the priests and Levites needed to go through a process 
of ceremonial cleansing. And they worked hard and they got out as all of the, the pagan things that Ahaz had brought in, they were working to get rid of it all. And then at the end of 29, we are told that the people of God were rejoicing. God had gotten hold of their hearts. And now, in our text, he says, we need to observe the Passover. Now, you may have noticed, and you may not know the significance, it said this call for the Passover was to happen in the second month. Now, if you know your Hebrew calendar well, you will know that Passover is supposed to be observed in the first month. But Hezekiah talked with the priests, and he talked with all of the people who were in Jerusalem. Did you twice, we're told, the whole assembly. This is one of the signs of a good king in Judah. The bad kings didn't care what anybody thought. They just did what they wanted to do. Hezekiah takes the people into his council. Says, let's celebrate uh, the, uh, uh, the Passover on the second month. Let's do it now. Why the second? And, and for those of you who tend to think uh, they're wrong, God said, do it in the first month. In Numbers, the ninth chapter, there's a provision. When somebody is experiencing uncleanness, they can delay the Passover for a month. Hezekiah is simply applying this to all of Judah and all of Israel. And the problem essentially is explained. There weren't enough priests who were consecrated. Remember I said most of the priests and most of the Levites took it seriously? Apparently some didn't. And so there were some who had not gone through the process of cleansing in the first month they were meant to do, and now they've got to play catch-up because there weren't enough priests to do this, this amazing festival. And there weren't enough people in Jerusalem. There were still a lot of people of Judah scattered because of the fear of the Assyrians that had taken Israel, all sorts of reasons. So they say, let's do it on the second month. Well, why not wait? Why not wait? We can pick up the Passover next year. I think Hezekiah was showing a great deal of wisdom. One of the reasons Israel and Judah were where they were is they had grown lax in their relationship with God. Things that were important became not so important to them. And so for Hezekiah, I can't encourage this. The law will allow us to do this, so we're going to do it. Another reason, do you remember why the Passover was instituted? To overcome or, or to be spared the wrath of God. It happened in Egypt. The tenth plague is coming, and only the folks who had heard the word of God and splattered the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorposts, were safe from the touch of the angel of death. So it was to avert the wrath of God, to, to be passed over. So what a great festival to start up and say, you know what? We have failed in the past, and we need to start all over again. 
Now, the other reason he probably focused so much on Passover, Passover began, again, in Egypt at a moment in time when God took a ragtag million Hebrew slaves, led them out of Egypt to Sinai, where they became the people of God. It was the beginning, the beginning of their identity as God's children. And so what a great way. A new reign is starting, a new king is starting. Let's go back and say, okay, we want to renew the covenant. We want to be what you wanted us to be way back at Sinai. So it had to be observed a month later, but in Hezekiah's mind, and the whole assembly agreed, it had to be as observed. But I'm just going to give you one little hint, and then I'll come back to it. I hope you noticed that Hezekiah did not just invite Judah, did he? He invited people from the northern kingdom of Israel. Most of the population of Israel has been taken away by Assyria and scattered over the empire. But there are some who are still there. And Hezekiah says, we want you to come and join with us. Now, what does this say to me? And I hope you'll be very, very gracious to me in the next few moments, okay? Remember, I love you, and I know you love me, so let's be gracious. We must not think ourselves above the need for a spiritual refresher course. I'm just curious. And I will ask for a show of hands today. How many of you have spent the majority of your life in church of some fashion? How many of you spent most of your life? Okay. The majority of people here. We are old timers. Now, some of us are younger old timers than the others, but we've been here, most of us, for a large portion of our lives. And you know what can happen when that happens? How shall I say this gently? We can get cocky. We can come to the point, I've heard it all. I know it all. I've read the Bible and I know it back and forth. I know all the things I should be. I know it, Danny. And I really appreciate that you're preaching those people across the aisle from me. But I know what I need. Are you familiar with the cliche, familiarity breeds contempt? When you get so used to something that you begin to ignore it, you begin to not think of it. And it can happen to us spiritually. When we become too familiar, folks, when we come into a place of worship and we hear that the Holy One of Israel is here with us and it does not invoke awe, it doesn't cause us to just, really? God is with us. We have grown too familiar. When we are comfortable with the things, the holy things of God, and what happens if we're not careful, when we have reached that point, we can begin to drift away from our walk with God without really thinking about it. We can begin to move further and further away, 
And, and basically, all the while, we still think the Lord and I are just like this. Why? Because I know everything. I know all I need to know. I know the verses to kill. I know the prayers I should pray. I know it, and I'm okay. Because we know everything. Well, friends, we don't. We don't know everything. And if we ever find ourselves losing the awe of the things of God in our lives, folks, it's time for us to go back to the basics. One of the most misapplied verses of Scripture in all of the New Testament is Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my knock, hears my voice, opens the door, I will go into him and sup with him. And he We don't get God to love us more because we spend time with him. But by spending time with the Lord, opening our heart to his move, we can begin to hear him again. We can begin to know him again. We can go back to that meaningful relationship. Because folks, any relationship where there isn't connection between all involved, well, we lose sight of it. And I grew up in a day where I was taught spiritual disciplines means 30 minutes. 30 minutes of Bible reading, or 15 minutes of Bible reading, excuse me, 15 minutes of prayer. Every day. And my dear sweet Dr. TV pointed out, Jesus did not set up a strict regimentation with his people. Jesus was not a drill sergeant barking orders. There is no record that they had a daily established time of prayer. There is no record that they had a daily time of studying. Now, I know what those who were trying to disciple me wanted me to do. But I've already told you, I treated it as a regiment. And I did it just so I could check it off. I've done it. We need to come back to God. We need to come back to where he wants us to be. Jesus warned his disciples in Mark 14 in the garden, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And oh, how we are weak. And how easily we get distracted. And there's part of us that wants it, but there's just so many things in the way. This watching and praying becomes a reality through time spent with God. Through time spent with God, uh, spending time before him in, in uh, prayer, uh, conversation with God, which involves both prayer and reading the word, and following the Lord through self-denial, obedience, by active participation in the body of Christ. And I'm not saying you just come to church Folks, do you know, do you really realize you can be in church every Sunday of your life and still be very far from God? But actively participating, actively serving. Serving each other, serving those who are hurting in the world, sharing our faith. All of these things. It's time we come back to basics. The very first things you learn that we've allowed to be forgotten, we need to return to. And I know the writer of Hebrews says we need to move away from the ABCs, 
But the thing was, his people had the ABCs down. They just weren't going further. We've lost sight. We need to get back to the basics. And the second step that becomes crucial on this, we need to pay attention to the call, to God's call of return. We need to pay attention that God is calling his people to come back. And he did so in an amazing way. He didn't do it with angels. He didn't do it with lightning and thunder. In this particular case, he used a brand new king. King Hezekiah. God was using a new king to call the people back to their Lord. When Hezekiah took the throne, the northern kingdom of Israel had already fallen to Assyria. Now the fact that Hezekiah is writing an invitation to the people left behind, come to Jerusalem and worship in the temple with us, that's huge. If you don't know your Bible history, if you're not familiar with the story of how Judah and Israel became, at one time they were one nation, Israel. After the death of Solomon, because of a great deal of foolishness on behalf of his son, ten northern tribes pulled away and formed their own nation of Israel. And the two southern tribes became what were known as Judah. And they hated each other. Israel despised. The king of Israel was so determined to keep his people away from Jerusalem, he set up false idols. He said, there, go worship folks' golden calves. Worship the God who brought you out of Egypt. Now, the new king, this son of God, wants to see the people of God as a whole come back to the Lord. And he wrote a beautiful letter, a challenging letter, a kind of in-your-face letter at moments. But he said, we want you to come back, all of you, come back. And the call to return to God was not just for Israel. It wasn't just for the northern kingdom. Folks, Judah had walked away from God. Judah had gone after other gods. Judah was guilty of the same sins. The only difference between Judah and Israel really seems to be that there were some good kings in Judah who kept trying to bring the people back to God. Israel, all of them were bad. And Hezekiah said, we need to come back together. And I want you to come. And God was calling the northern kingdom to come back to him through this king. Come back to me. And I will restore the covenant. I will make it real and powerful in your lives. Now this was both a call to return and it was a warning. You better return. Or the fate of Israel will be the fate of us all. Don't be stiff-necked like your ancestors. Don't be stubborn. Don't be obstinate. Don't be pig-headed. I shouldn't use that for a Jewish king. But don't be caught up in your own life. Come back to God. 
Now again, what does that say to you? What does it say to me? God never brings punishment without first giving a call to return to him. There are a lot of people who think we're in in judgment right now or that judgment is right around the corner. I'm telling you, God doesn't do that unless there's been a warning given. Biblically and historically, I can show you Every time before God allowed punishment to come upon his people, he sent them warnings, come home. Now, the reality is, most of the time, his people did not listen. They were stiff-necked. They were thinking everything's all right. But he always sent them warnings. The first such warning that I ever heard when I was a kid, a, a young believer came from the pen of Leonard Ravenhill. Now, if you've been paying attention to those little blurbs on Awakening for the last couple of months, you've been, re- been reading a little bit out of his book, Why Revival Tarries. In 1971, he wrote a book, Sodom Had No Bible. I didn't come across it till about 1975, about the time I had surrendered to ministry and was wanting to, to go and do what God wanted me to do. And a friend of mine was running a Christian bookstore, and he said, you need to read this. What I want to read to you is tough. But listen to what he said. And I have shared this with you in the past, but it's important, I think, for you to hear it again, since we're going back. Sodom had no churches. We had thousands. Sodom had no Bible. We had millions. Sodom had no preachers. We had 10,000 and thousands. Sodom had no Bible schools. We have at least 250. Sodom had no prayer meetings. We have thousands. Sodom had no gospel broadcast. As a nation, we are richly blessed with gospel broadcasts. Sodom had no histories of God's judgment to warn it of danger. We have volumes of them. Sodom perished in spite of all these disadvantages. America today is living by the mercy of God. The only reason we are not smoking in the fire wrath of a holy God is mercy. M-E-R-C-Y. Prolonged mercy. America as a nation already has posted all the warning signs that Sodom lacked. He said the dice is loaded against America. Folks, if you did the math, that was 50 years ago. 50 years ago that he wrote that. And 50 years ago in the church in America, we were still having some really phenomenal growth. But something was wrong. Something was off. Ravenhill warned about it. Elton Drupal, a Quaker, warned about it. Hearts were calling out in warning. Now, we can respond one of two ways to these strong warnings. We can be terrified. We can hear the warnings and just be absolutely terrified that judgment's going to wash right over us and we're going to be destroyed. We can respond that way, and a lot of people do. A lot of people look at something like uh, Ravenhill wrote and say, that's too harsh. We don't need that. Well, folks, the other way we can look at that For all of its strength and power and harshness, do you know what that really is? 
that really is God using someone to say, children, you need to come home. Children, you need to come back to me. You need to be restored. So listen and hear and call, call out my name as I call to you. Come back. Don't be stiff-necked. And instead of wringing your hands and saying, oh, everything's lost, know that God is still giving a warning, which means there's still time for us. Still time. And so however God chooses to call our hearts, we must be willing to listen. And he calls in a lot of different ways. He does use people like Ravenhill. He uses people like Billy Graham. He uses people like Elton Trueblood, who talks about the, the sickness of the church way back in the 50s. Sometimes he uses the voice of babes to get our attention. A friend of mine was detailing his car. He heard a knock on the window. He rolls down the window. His five-year-old son. And his five-year-old son said, this is the Holy Spirit talking to you. The little boy had never been in church in his life. He had never so much as heard the family say a word of grace at mealtime. He had never heard anything. That was on Saturday. On Sunday, my friend and his family were in church. However he calls us. I believe there is a remnant of God in this land. I believe there are people who are getting it. I believe there are Christians who have a heart to follow God. So however he calls, the question is, will the church in America hear what God is saying? And will we return? And if we return, we have one less step to consider. We need to follow through with commitments to return. If I hear and if I am honest and I say, Lord, this passage is talking to me. I need to come back to you. I need to serve you. Then we need to follow through. Because it's really easy on a Sunday morning to make a decision that you forget about the rest of the week. These kind of decisions pretty much for right now need to be made every day. Help us, Lord. You see, many in Judah and a few in Israel actually responded to God's call to return. They actually came. Not everybody. There was a large segment of the remnant of the, the people left behind in Israel. When they got the letter, they mocked it. They laughed at it. It was like, you've got to be kidding. We're not coming back to that place. But some did hear. Let me read for you a couple of verses out of the text that are not in our main text. Uh, beginning in verse 11. Some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and the officials had ordered following the word of of the Lord. Hezekiah was so open when these people from Israel actually show up, it touched his life. And do you know what he named his son? Manasseh. As a word of hope. I wish I could tell you Manasseh turned out like his dad, but he didn't. 
he followed in the steps of his grandfather. But there was a heart to follow. Judah responded. Judah came, and it was an amazing moment. I want to read some more verses for you out of the 30th chapter. Uh, verses 25 through 27. This is absolutely glorious. Listen to what God said. The entire assembly of Judah rejoiced along with the priests and the Levites and all who had assembled from Israel, hold on to your socks, including the foreigners who had come from Israel and also those who resided in Judah. There was great joy in Jerusalem for since the days of Solomon, Son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them, for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. Not only Israelites, not only Hebrew people came, even foreigners hearing the call show up in Jerusalem. Maybe they're like some folks mentioned in the the New Testament, God-fearers. Gentiles who were coming to a conclusion, Yahweh is the true and living God. And people came, and it was a tremendous moment in time. Nothing had been seen like that for hundreds of years. God was blessing his people. And I'm telling you right here, right now, with everything in me, across this nation, I believe God is calling. And we must decide if we will listen. We can choose to be stiff-necked. We can look at the warnings and not like them. Because, folks, we look at the warnings of God in Scripture, and who do we apply them to? All those sinners out there. All those sinners out in the world, all those people who are out of God's will, never knew God, never will know God... That's who God is warning. Or those church members who mess up. Folks, the warning is coming to us. We can be stiff-necked. And we often are. Have you ever noticed something? I'm going to be honest because I'm, I'm about to confess something. And I think I'm not the only one here. Have you ever noticed how we always want to identify with the heroes in the parables? When I'm reading the parable of the Good Samaritan, I want to be the Good Samaritan. I'm the guy who's going to walk over and risk something and help someone. That's who I want to be. I want to be the hero. In the parable of the soils, I want to be the soil that has a hundredfold. I want to be the good soil. And we always tend to look and say, we're one of the good guys. Let's listen to one of Jesus' parables and not assume we're the good guy. Okay? And I want you to listen to the opening verse I'm about to read because it gives the reason Jesus told the parable. And it's not a very comfortable reason. The parable is found in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. And I'm really going to emphasize verse 9. To those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. 
that's kind of making me squirm. That's not terribly comfortable. To everybody who thinks, I'm okay, it's the rest of the world that's bad. Jesus said, I've got something to tell you. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. In other words, he wasn't praying the way Jews normally prayed. He couldn't look up. But he was beating his breast. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We can be stiff-necked Pharisees. And we can do a really good job of that. We can say, God, I'm in need of your grace and mercy. So when God is calling, and there's a progression in this text that you may not have noticed. He first talks about those godly people in Israel who follow the Lord. And he says, the ancestors who, who followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And then he talks about the stiff-necked generation who refused to follow their God. And then he's looking at the people he's talking to today, and he says, you need to follow your God. Well, we need to follow our God. We must take care to really yield our hearts to the God who can move us away from neglect. That's why I say the awakening must come. It must be a move of God. It must come from his hand. We cannot do it ourselves. Now, for this to happen, we need to pay attention to Paul's exhortation. And I've read this recently to you. And I make no apologies about reading this particular passage of Scripture because I think we probably ought to read it at least once a week ourselves. Paul is writing to a church in Rome. He has never met these people. He doesn't know them. But he writes a letter and he says, this is what you need to do. That may sound arrogant for Paul to tell a church he's never met this is what you need to do. What gave him the right? Well, one, the Spirit was inspiring him. Two, Paul knew people. And so he wrote to the church at Rome, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We must take care to really give ourselves. When Paul says present your bodies, he's using the bodies as an image for everything there is about you. And he says you need to present so that you do not conform to this world, that you are changed. 
Well, in the eighth chapter of Romans, do you know what Paul says about how we're supposed to conform? To whom we conform? He says, God has predestined us to conform to the image of his Son. We're meant to be like Jesus. That's God's call. And that can only happen in our lives as we quit fighting God and we say, here I am. Here I am. Change me. Move in me. You see, only God can renew our minds through his grace and mercy. So friends, it's time for us to go back to the basics. Since I'm in a 70s kind of mood, I'm going to switch to 1975. Andre Crouch and the Disciples released a song. It's not one of their better known. Some of you will know it. It's not one of the more famous. The first time I heard it was after a youth revival where God greatly touched me and I bawled my way through. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to where I first believed. I feel that I'm so far from you, Lord, but still I hear you calling me. Those simple things that I once knew, the memories are drawing me. I must confess, Lord, I've been blessed, and yet my soul's not satisfied. Renew my faith. Restore my joy and dry my weeping eyes. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to where I first believed. I've tried so hard to make it all alone. I need your help just to make it home. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you, take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, where I first believed. So let's go back. Let's ask God to restore us, just as Israel had to go back to the observation of the Passover, had to go back to a time of repentance and seeking God. We need God to take us back to those areas in our life we've neglected, those things in our lives we've put on a shelf and we've not paid attention to. Let's listen to his call to return. And understand when God is telling his people, come back, he's telling me, come back. And let's follow through with our commitments. As we yield ourselves to his hands, let's take that call seriously. Folks, what am I asking you to do today? I'm asking you to join me and let's give up the false self-images that tell us nothing's wrong with the church, that everything is okay. We still are allowed to come. We still can worship. We can do so everything's okay. Let's, let's realize the church is not well. 75% of Southern Baptist churches are either plateaued or declining. And there are a lot of things going into that, but folks, that lies true with almost every 
evangelical denomination. God, help us. Let's be honest. We need you, God, to awaken us. Today, return to God's purpose for your life. Let's get back to the basics. 